Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. Something has happened. It's changed my life forever. I have changed from a person who has never seen the Harrison Ford Blade Runner to a person who has seen the Harrison Ford Blade Runner. <laughs> I watched it. You've taken you've taken your first steps into a larger world. Welcome. My first steps into a larger world. Well, you know, we're doing this, um, you know, this class that I'm and one of the assignments that I gave everybody, which of course I have to do because I'm also participating, <laughs> is to build like a reading list of movies and things that you want to watch that that kind of speak to uh, the space that you're going to work in. And I think I'm going to be working in a mildly sci-fi space. I'm okay. still trying to figure okay. all that stuff out. I think the the world itself is going to be a sci-fi world where the story is more of like a regular women's fiction. So it's going to be kind of fun to play with that. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull it off, but why not try? So one of the things on my list was it's about damn time that I saw Blade Runner. Now, prior to when we started recording... I made the mistake of saying that I had seen the original Blade Runner and you yes. were like, no, 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 no. No. I, and then I, I had to ask yeah. there because it's not right. I, I don't need to correct. I need to make sure I know which movie we're talking about <laughs> because I haven't seen the original because I saw the director's cut, which took out apparently a lot of really bad voiceover. Yes, and also a different ending and a variety of other things. Like it was, they are very different animals. Here's the thing. I thought going into Blade Runner that I had been spoiled. Now, now my husband, Ian, right, <laughs> knows this movie. Like you and Ian need to sit down in a room with me not even in it because y'all need to have these conversations because I hear your side and I hear his side. And I'm like, you would talk for hours about this movie. Like <laughs> He loves this movie but i went in having having heard a spoiler a very specific spoiler for the end of this movie which i guess i'm not going to spoil here even though it's a you know 30 40 year old movie come on the statute of limitations is up go for it also also actually wait i'm going to do a little a little warning to anyone listening okay Okay, so we're going to apparently do a little spoiler talk if you are somehow listening to this and have not seen blade runner What the fuck are you doing? Like, go do it. You're one of the 12 people who loves comics enough to listen to this podcast, but has not seen the movie. Yeah, I love it a lot. So go see it and then come back. I'm completely serious. And I do think either I'm trying to remember what they call it. The ultimate cut or the director's cut would also be fine. This movie had a troubled production life. For real. It's, yeah, the whole thing. Like, apparently there's a whole story. We saw the, like, 4K, you know, where you can see everything that's in the smog, all that kind of stuff. It was um, it was cool and interesting. But I had been spoiled some years ago that Deckard, which was Harrison Ford's um, character, was actually a replicant. Because the whole story in Blade Runner, of course, is are they real or are they Memorex? Like, you know, we're looking at these replicant characters who are basically, um, you know, androids and uh, don't know that they are androids. So that's that whole question about like, what is humanity? What makes up humanity? So I went in it and then in the middle of it, you know, Ian was talking about, it. I was like, it's all right. I've already been spoiled for it. So whatever. And I say, cause at the end, you know, Deckard is discovers he's a replicant. And he's like, Oh no, no, <laughs> that has not been, no, that has not been canonized. That is, 
is a reading that some people have, but that's not what the story is about. And I went into watching this thinking that that was what we were leading to. Right. Mm -hmm. And like the only the thing is like the the apparently the the evidence that people use for the canon of that is the unicorn that he finds. Oh, there's more than that. I am firmly in that camp. You're firmly in the Deckard as a replicant camp. hundred percent. No doubt. Which I think is an interesting turn. But like after watching it, I was like, oh, okay. So we were just going to kill Rucker Hauer, and that's what this was about, rather than being about the, like, the deep question of whether or not Deckard is a replicant. It's about both, because that's how really good <laughs> hard-boiled detective fiction works. <laughs> text and subtext. Right. Text and subtext, my friends. All right. So here we go. Now, I'm going to give you like one minute to tell me what you love about this film before we move on, because otherwise this is going to become the unofficial Blade Runner episode of In the Gutter. That's right. If uh, <laughs> if Lonnie starts randomly yelling the names of obscure fruits, it's because they're safe words to tell me that I have overdone it on Blade Runner. Well, I mean, longtime listeners of any of yeah. my stuff, let alone the stuff you and I have done together, are they already know that I am a big noir <laughs> fan yeah and that that noir like like you can make a noir movie about anything like i maintain the wrestler is a noir film right and black swan is a noir ballet film right like these yeah you know but the roots are in hard-boiled detectives and so that you don't have to stay there but that's that's the bedrock right and i love that shit uh and that's what blade runner is like blade runner is just uh -huh. a hard-boiled detective story in a cyberpunk future and it came out at a time when I was still very excited about cyberpunk. I'm I'm less excited about cyberpunk now just because it still looks like it's what 1985 thought the future would look like. Right, and I'd, I'd yes. be a lot. I, I seriously am like, what if we asked what 1995 thought the future would look like and do that as cyberpunk right. or something like at this point, mm -hmm. it's got kind of a retro futuristic vibe. Right. It's so funny because it takes place like a part of it. They're referencing. I think it takes place in 2019. Right. So this was <laughs> yes. this was made in 1982 and it takes place in 2019, which is now history for where I'm watching. it. Yes. From. And as I'm watching it, it is like this vision of the future. And I'm like, oh, my God, if they had any idea, like they've still got fucking CRTs. They thought they would get flying cars before they got a flat panel thing. Like, OK, that actually comes hilarious. back to a different <laughs> argument we were having about what's more important, moving information around <laughs> or engineering. What's more important. Right. Engineering. Engineering. Yeah. Engineering is what gets us flying stuff. cars. Well, no, I, but it also gets us flat panel, you know, computer screens. <laughs> That's not what I mean by engineering, but the, you're nailing it when thing, I'm yeah. the whole like, like, this is what the 80s thought the future will look like, which is a yeah. very cyberpunk vibe. And now it's kind of like retro futuristic. And that's kind of dope in a completely different way that they didn't intend. And so I love that. It's yeah. yeah. I mean, it was great the day it came out, but that whole like circle around to where, you know, it's like watching a movie from like a sci-fi movie from the fifties and going, that's what the fifties mm -hmm. thought the future would look like. And it was futuristic yeah. for them. But for us, it's like retro futuristic. Love all that shit. Harrison Ford, of course, is great. He's also a complete mm -hmm. fucking scumbag in that movie. Like, <laughs> He is not a good person. Uh, uh, we we like right? you're you're going, which again is very hard boiled detective. You kind of have two two ways to approach that yeah. broadly, broadly. Mm -hmm. So you have one that's like 
the detective with the tarnished heart of gold, right? Like this is your uh, your Raymond Chandler's character, Philip Marlowe, that guy. And then you have like the hard-boiled detective who is just a fucking scumbag. Like you're only rooting for him because he's the point of view of character. And this would be a lot of stuff, but to get one that's kind of contemporary with uh, Phil Marlowe, this would be Sam Spade from uh, the Maltese Falcon. Like, he's not in it. How many times does he say, uh, fella's partner's murdered, you ought to do something about it? He doesn't give a shit. He was fucking his partner's wife. He doesn't care about that guy as a human. He just, like, has this, like, weird, rickety-ass code of honor. That's Deckard. Just a shit human being. If indeed he is a human being, because that's the other thing that comes around. Which is the whole other question. But anyway, this is not a Blade Runner podcast. I just thought it would be really, really fun to see Joshua lose his mind that I finally saw Blade Runner. Here is the thing, though. This ties. (laughs) We can connect Blade Runner to this stuff, to this Captain America Oh, I love it when you get a segue. Let's go. We can absolutely do that. Because I feel like a lot of the, the questions about replicants textually that become questions about Deckard subtextually, right, are very similar questions that we could put towards Bucky slash the Winter Soldier. Because interesting thing, you said Android, which they're never mm-hmm. super clear on what exactly the replicants are, except that they do bleed and burn. Like, I think that they are yep. less androids and more extremely genetically altered human beings, right? Manufactured people. They're never super clear on this, except that they've got a guy whose like whole deal is building body parts. Like you don't have to build body parts for robots, you know? So the question is very much like who's in charge? What does self-actualization look like? What does agency look like? What does humanity look like when you pre-program something that is basically you genetically? Yeah. But you pre-program it to only live for 10 or 12 years to do exactly what it's told, you know, to just work until it falls apart, basically. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. um, who, who, and all Reaganomics mid-80s capitalism just came home to roost 35 <laughs> years later. <laughs> they just want us to be the fucking replicants. Like, they've just cut out the yep. middleman for 2023, yep. but that's a whole separate. Okay. Oh, such an interesting... Co- I think that the conversations that you have from sci-fi <laughs> are almost more fun than actually consuming the sci-fi itself. Sometimes, sometimes. And and yeah. also drawing these parallels, right? So, so Bucky is not a right. replicant, per se, mm-hmm. right? Obviously. Right. But he is like a human being who sort of showed up on the doorstep of Karpov with pre-programmed mm-hmm. skills, you know, yes. sort of the firmware, if you really want to, like, stretch mm-hmm. this computer uh, uh, analogy as far as it'll go. Like, the firmware yeah. they could put to work, but they had to do a total, you know, reboot of the operating system up top, right? Mm-hmm. To to basically strip Bucky of all of the humanity yeah. that is not immediately useful to them. And in the case mm-hmm. of the in the case of the Winter Soldier, that's we got to leave this kind of like Americanness, this like attitude of wa- moving through the world, so he doesn't draw attention, but and and keep all of the murder bot skills, but then yeah. make him totally subservient to us. The flip of that with the replicants is uh, there's no part of their humanity that anyone is interested in preserving, and yet they keep trying to escape. They keep trying, like they have a whole division of the yeah. police that are there to stop replicants who get loose. So it's mm-hmm. like they're not they're not the same, but the contrast between them I think is really interesting and brings us into a place here in this very issue where we are going to look yes. at like Bucky 
or I should not say Bucky, the Winter Soldier, questioning orders. Uh-huh. Are we do- not questioning the ethics of them, but the actual like strategic <laughs> validity of them? But you yes. wonder anyway. Ah, we'll get into it because so that's much. The stuff. And does the proximity of the Cosmic Cube do any of that to Bucky as well? Interesting. This is what is great about sci-fi and these kinds of stories is that the questions that come from them are so fascinating, but I think we should just move right into the summary and get going with that so we can have this discussion. Jack, roll the summary music. In Captain America number 13, The Winter Soldier Part 5, we open on Lucan, who sits vigil at Leon's bedside and receives bad news. Leon's prognosis is not good, and it's all the fault of Lucan and the cube. Cut to Cap and Falcon discussing what a mess the Winter Soldier situation is, the monkey's pawn nature of the cube, and that Cap wants to save Bucky. Somehow. Cut to Lucan instructing the Winter Soldier to take the cube and lock it away where nobody can use it or be abused by it again. The soldier questions Lucan, which Lucan doesn't care for, and then leaves to do his duty. Lucan is left behind with the voice in his head telling him that locking the cube away is a mistake. Cap, with some assistance from Falcon and Iron Man, takes down an AIDS safe house and gets some answers on the cube. With AIDS' reluctant assistance, Tony is able to track the cube. Tony deduces that the cube is going to a nuclear vault, but due to a nearly successful Cronus takeover, Tony can't be seen making moves against Lucan or Cronus. It's up to Cap and Falcon. Cap belatedly calls in help from Sharon and S.H.I.E.L.D. as he and Falcon land. They exit the plane ready for business, only for us to see them in the Winter Soldier's scope. The issue closes on the soldier pulling the trigger, and we're left to wonder, is this the end of the high-flying falcon? Or perhaps the star-spangled man with a plan? (laughs) I love that question, to which the answer is almost always no, but yet... It's still a moment of tension there at the end. Josh, what did you think of this issue? Well, I, I felt like you could really tell we're over the hump and run on this yeah. mad rush to the end, right? Um, within, I say end, within this overall serialized structure of many beginnings, middles, and ends that, you know, work together. Um, it, I, I, I feel like it really starts to heat up here. And I thought, I know you have mixed feelings about cliffhangers all the time, but I thought yeah. that, again, taking into account serialized fiction kind of like trades in those this is a pretty good one (laughs) well yeah i'm not i'll talk a little bit more about cliffhangers in general uh i i wasn't uh, to me this is a cliffhanger that is part of the aesthetic of comic books and therefore i think as part of the aesthetic it gets more of a pass than it might in something else but yeah at the same time i'm not i'm not really like feeling this issue this issue feels to me Super slow. Like, I I liked Lucan struggling, sending the cube away with Bucky. I like that he's sitting at his best friend's bedside and finally waking up to the effect Mm -hmm. that this thing has had on him. I like that for our antagonist, it is love that inspires him to uh to do something that he is obsessive mm-hmm. like like obsessively mm-hmm. involved with. So I liked all that stuff, but uh, but overall the issue I felt like it was kind of like a, you know, uh, we're kind of wasting like we're just kind of farting around. Like yeah, you can go to aid and bust in through the wall. And I'm not saying that that wasn't awesome as like an action <laughs> sequence, but it's just going to some place and busting through the wall. Like Tony Stark has tons of resources. We could have done that in one panel on one page. That Tony just has this information about where the cube is going and we would have believed it. So it feels like we're kind of like 
wasting that time sort of farting around aid and then flying in the helicopter to get to this place where we know Bucky is going to be. I mean, the Luke and a Bucky stuff was, was quick to the point and efficient. And then we're just kind of farting around a little bit here with uh, Cap and Falcon and Tony. So yeah, like uh, just all of it. And then at the end, when we got a cliffhanger, which I get as part of the aesthetic, just also not my favorite thing. So all that together, eh, you know, it was okay. I didn't hate this issue. But I just was kind of like, let's let's get going. I want to see Captain Bucky in the same room. Uh, that is very fair. And I am right now as we're like, that's a fair reaction, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm right now as we speak, adding something to our notes. You may, in <laughs> fact, listeners, be able to hear this. Uh, the thing that I'm adding to our notes is the discussion of necessary evils of serialized superhero storytelling because we'll come back to that with this action sequence and some of the other things. We will get back to that. <laughs> but right now we are going to take a break and uh, we will be right back. All right, so we are back, and here we're going to talk about the cover art. We have Cap running toward the camera, fist in mid-punch, with Falcon and Iron Man as his backup singers. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's good. Cap like, and the pips. <laughs> they're the, absolutely. Uh, it's it's not the stab you in the heart image from last time. Right. Uh, you know, but it's, it's good. It's, it's definitely, you know, like a standard you know, action moment uh, uh, cover, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, there's not the sort of underlying emotional gut punch that we've had with like the contrast between modern Winter Soldier and period appropriate Bucky yeah. art or the lonely shield in front of a yeah. oh, city yeah. on fire, you know. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it is more standard. I do think that it speaks a lot to the pivot for Cap in this issue. Like the big pivot for me in this issue is that he finally starts asking for help instead of just trying to handle everything by himself or with the assistance of people who have 47,000 other agendas, you know? (laughs) So from that perspective, it does show like a pivot point. I feel like a character pivot point. And I do like to see kind of like at the end with the big reveal of a Falcon in the last issue. I like to see our more superheroic characters kind of given this, uh, um, I don't know, kind of 70s gritty espionage gloss, you know? Yeah. It's like the comic book version of all the stuff they did to the digital film and the Batman to make it look like film, right? It's <laughs> like, I'm going to draw superhero people and I'm going to put them through this filter and they're going to look like this. So I think it's really well executed if it's, and I do think it speaks to a thing in the issue that's really cool, but it's not on its own sort of punch you in the face or in the gut or in the heart, you know, it's... It's great, right. but it's just there. It is, you know, it's doing its thing, right? You know, like, I want to be punched in the gut. Like, <laughs> I want I want the comics that, that I love the most reach in and pull out my still beating heart and show it to me. Like, I like that, you know? And I get that not every issue can do that because sure. you got to take a breath, and that's totally fine. Uh, what did you think about the interior art on this one? I mean, it's kind of this. We're singing the same song. Like, it's great. Yeah. Um, I do think that... Uh, uh, we can talk about like the necessariness. That's not a word. Yes. Necessitude. What in the hell? <laughs> we can talk about how much we needed the fight with aid right. as we go. But this is 
this is some of the best action that I've seen, you know, from an, yeah. an artist who I think is great, but tends to give me like kind of stiff vibes, you know, in the action. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's some like loosening up, you know, going on because we had a really good like rooftop to rooftop, you know, kind of mm-hmm. acrobatic scene. Oh, with yeah. Cap. Anyway, I re- but also on top of that, um, and I, mm-hmm. I really thought the acting in this issue was yes. up, above average, even for mm-hmm. this, like. Tony is just so like head and hands dejected. Like I want to help you, but it will fuck me, you know? And Mm. Sharon is so fucking frustrated. (laughs) She is so, I'm not mad. I'm just frustrated with everything. (laughs) And, and Cap has this kind of like, uh, like this resolute jaw clench. All right, Mm. let's, now that I've decided what to do, let's fucking get it done. And most of that is subtext. Like Tony's is, both in the dialogue and the art, but the rest of that is just like Sharon, just like your mom. Like I'm a fucking, you better get to your room to save your life. You know, is kind of the your, Sharon vibe. When your father gets home, young yeah. man. Middle names are coming out. Is like the Sharon vibe, but we never. She never says I'm so mad or yeah. anything. It's anyway. That's me she on the interior. Have to, no, the acting. The acting is incredible. Like I have to say that. Um, what. When an artist for a comic book steps in, the the job that they're doing in reality, I think, is so much more narrative. It's so much more acting based. It's so much. I mean, you would expect it to be creative because it's art. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what they're able to do in comic books, and I always get super frustrated because the job that these artists do is so extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And yet, I think probably as far as artists go, they get dismissed the most. Their their work is treated, I think, by some as this temporary disposable thing. When in reality, it's unbelievable what they're able to do. So all of this that Epting is doing in this issue... Um, I think deserves an absolute moment in our podcast to be like, holy shit, it's not just drawing, it's acting, mm-hmm. it's pulling the narrative threads, it's it's like twanging the narrative strings on the guitar to like heighten everything that's happening in that storytelling. I mean, the way we see Lucan in the hospital at Leon's bedside, mm-hmm. you know, um, you see him and he is so dejected and, you know, struggling with everything. And I I love that they can do, I mean, the writing is there to kind of like give it the direction, but what the, these artists do with the moment to moment character work and the acting while creating like uh, hundreds of panels Mm -hmm. in an issue of sequential storytelling that moves from like, it is astounding. And I just want to see, I, I all I want to do is hear people sing the praises of comic book artists, you know, all the yeah. time. So yeah. like it's just I think it's amazing what they do. Um, I think the Epstein's work here is absolutely spectacular. And I mean that acting too. Even when they kind of reuse some things, like they have some mm-hmm. reused beats or leap motifs, like um, yeah. uh, Lucan sort of all but head and hands next to Leon's bed is very reminiscent of how we ended an issue after Cap got done reading the Winter Soldier. Uh, file where it's just head and hands Mm -hmm. like what and both of them agonizing over their friend and how they failed them you know one more accurately than the other right and then if we look at tony tony's in like the same posture like he sat down yeah hands in his lap talking about how he can't go help Mm -hmm. his he's failing his friends right there but he's got to do it like 
These repeated motifs, I don't think, are accidental. And even if they are, it doesn't matter. Or if it's subconscious, like... Because they're still effective. He's fucking killing it. Yeah, yeah. It all mm-hmm. lands. Tremendous work. It's absolutely working. Absolutely working. All right. So we have had the conversation a few times throughout this run about evil being the seed of its own undoing. And here we are again. And in Justice League. Like, this is the thing mm-hmm. I really like about yeah. both of these uh, stories uh, is that... Um, and I like this all the time. Like, just... Uh, yeah. it, you used to see it in the more simplistic superhero stories, too. That The thing that ultimately most undid the villains was that they just couldn't work together. They couldn't get along. It was all yeah. egos or whatever. But here... Man, it is all over the place. Lucan thought he could outdo the skull with the cube. Turns out he's just as susceptible to its monkey paw bullshit. (laughs) And here he's dealing with the fallout of his actions as an own hubris and his own undoing. And I can't, we'll see in the next issue, but like his decisions of what to do with the cube because of what happened with Leon make a huge dent in his long-term plans. Not just in the use of the cube, but for other reasons we'll talk about next issue, you know. Um, But it's just, he's just killing himself with his own choices. He was so Mm -hmm. ready to do so much heinous shit, and then he went and found heinous shit that was over his own line. And I have to tell you, tell me what you think. I think that Lucan having to watch Leon suffer in the hospital is so much worse for him than if he just had to bury Leon. Like, yeah, he could yeah. just be like, well, you know, I bury people all the time. But no, now he has to watch him. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing about Leon not dying in this attack, um, but clearly being, you know, pretty fucked up. Yeah. Like, you know, there's talk, there's talk of it losing his eye. Like, it's it's pretty bad. And it's bad enough that it, it gets you know, Lucan's attention, like nothing got his attention before, you know, like he was so resolute and absolutely going to do this thing, but it is this love for his friend. And I love seeing that. I love seeing the evil antagonist Mm -hmm. out of love, make a choice, you know, that then changes the trajectory of what they're doing. I think that makes him so much more complicated um, as an antagonist. That's what I love. His, like the mustache twirling evil for evil's sake is a boring antagonist to me. But the thing is, is that sometimes like you look at Lucan's history, at what he grew up with, at the things that he experienced. And while you're like, yeah, this is still some evil shit and you shouldn't be doing it, you do have a little bit of empathy for him. You can understand how he got where he is. And I really love that. And I love that there is, you know, this internal, you know, sense of tension within Lucan, even when he's doing all of these things, Mm -hmm. that he's not just so completely dedicated to evil that there is a pull in him, you know, um, but he got to a point where he's just so focused on doing this one thing because of stuff that happened in the past that he's not actively questioning himself yeah. or yeah. his motivations or his actions until he hurts his best friend. And given that this whole run is about masculine community. It's about best friends. It's about all of these things that I think we don't talk about a lot. At least I don't see it a lot or haven't seen until, until, you know, recently in masculine oriented storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, And I think that like this was, you know, what, 2011, like early. Oh, this is like 2006. 
2006. All right. Yeah, so it's, it's yeah. mid-aughts, right? Yeah. You know, a time when these kinds of stories for men were not necessarily being told to oh, this yeah, extent. Absolutely. And I love that that we're talking about masculine community and what it means to love someone. For men, usually when we talk about love with men, first of all, we make it extremely heteronormative. And it's always because of because a man loves a woman then he can do these amazing things, but mm. only because he's getting sex out of it, right? Like only, he can only feel like if he's if he's getting sex out of it, if she is his emotional anchor, you know? The idea that Steve can have this loving relationship with Bucky where he wants to save him, that he has this loving yeah. relationship with Falcon and Iron Man, that um, Lucan, our antagonist, has a loving relationship with his best friend, that we're not getting all homophobic about it. Yeah. I mean, these yeah. are all, you know, straight male relationships too as far as I can see, not that it matters, but nobody's getting the not that we're gay, you know, kind right, of right, right. like jokes in there. Um, I love all of that. I have to say, like, there's a lot of stuff in these stories that I, I like, but I think my favorite thing about them as a whole is that sense of masculine love, masculine community without there being a worry about it looking like it might be gay. Right, like, you know, yeah. and, and the, the fact that we don't have any, you know, gay relationships in here is fine. It would be, I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind a little smoochy time with, with Cap and Falcon. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. That wouldn't kill me. Um, but, you know, I, I just like that we are allowing loving relationships with men without anybody, you know, freaking out and making it about something that it's not about, which is what happened a lot, especially in the 90s, but even in the early aughts. So oh, this no. is nice to see. Absolutely. You know? Um, yeah. this pivots nicely into the, uh, we're doing it with a little help of our friends section of our show. <laughs> um, but, uh, because that's another thing I really appreciate about this they're sort of lateral um mm -hmm. masculine relationships there might be yeah. a bit of mentor mentee thing with cap and bucky when mm -hmm. we go into the flashbacks but i mean by the time sure. they go in the drink that's over right they're mm -hmm. uh they're you know uh, uh colleagues you know as well as friends like they're equals and um uh considering how much you and i through the mcu railed against the incessant daddy issues as the yes. only mm -hmm. useful motivation for men. Like we're either frigid women or it's all about their fucked up relationship with their dad. It's right. Because that's the only vulnerability we allow men to have. Right. And yeah. that fucks up like a masculine mindset, you know, like I think that fucks with, with the emotional state of men that they can only, they're only allowed to have vulnerability when mm -hmm. it comes to daddy or the woman that they're having. Sex yeah. With. No, it's a mess. And yeah, it's so limiting. I feel like this is avoiding that on purpose this story is avoiding it yeah. on purpose because we could absolutely do some of that with Karpov and Lucan not really anybody else nobody else makes sense yeah. but we could at least get a little of that with Karpov and Lucan and we never touch it like it's it exists only for there to be a sort of chronological continuity between World the War Two and of now. the evil torch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Like like Lucan is doing this revenge on behalf of his father figure, but after that, we never hear him wax poetic about yeah. his father figure. Much more about Leon. Much more about the relationship between Cap and Bucky. You know, now yeah. much more about Cap and Falcon, or even Cap and Falcon and Iron Man. Um, yeah. Because that's what I was saying with the cover. This big pivot point for me is Cap has Sharon and Fury aside, 
Cap's yeah. done all this on on his own, you know? And I feel like involving Fury and Sharon is not not doing it by himself. Like, they're basically a ride right. and support. They're not friends. Even Sharon, who mm-hmm. he had a romantic relationship with, is kept very much at, a, at an arm's length. Like, at least two or three times yeah. in the whole thing thus far, she has said, yeah, I fumbled it. I think I used to, I used to know how to talk to him. Like she's had at least yeah. two or three of those moments. He's been alone. Now Cap goes to his actual friends, the people that will actually support him. And what do you know? Shit starts going right, or at least righter. <laughs> you know, and it's in contrast to Luke. Somebody inside, yes, right? You know, yes. like he's he's just in this space where he is isolating himself, sending everybody off, you know, like, and even when he's in a room with Fury and Sharon, he's never in that room with them. Right. They have other agendas. They are also exactly like he's not, he's not with them and they are not there for him. Yes. Right. Even Sharon is like, you know, I want to fucking kill Bucky because of Tapper. Right. You know, Sharon's got her own shit going on as well. She cares about Steve, but she's working her own angles like she does She's one of the, the angles thing, yeah. is her are her feelings for steve but it's only one of the angles right whereas falcon shows up he has one angle one and it's mm-hmm. steve that's it what do you and need it's to be there for cap yeah yeah which i love and i love that with iron man too you know i love that they both show up that they're there they're on either side they can understand him he is no longer isolated because what we've been going through this whole time are these memories of bucky the if it wasn't for me no one would understand you which is disproven i think by the appearance of of falcon yes and iron man but this is the memory too that's something that bucky said it's something that that steve remembers Bucky saying whether or not Bucky ever actually said it again memories are what they are memories are formed narrative of the past which we can only trust to a certain degree Um, but the fact that that is the thing that Cap remembers you know states that that is the fear that he has that Bucky was the only one who would ever understand him and now as we see him having these friends who do understand him who are there for him who are showing up for him and just for him then when he goes in to save Bucky that takes that selfish motivation kind of out of it because mm-hmm. he does have that um and i think that's one of the things that cap was struggling with and then there's this moment too where Falcon says, what do you want to do? Yes. Let's take everything else out of it. What do you want? And Cap says, I want to save him. You know? Um, and I think in that moment, the I want to save him becomes about Bucky and not about Cap. You know? Which I think is a really, really nice kind of switch in the moment there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's I was going to say. His ability, Captain America, Steve's ability to have this conversation with someone who is only there for him, finally gives him a moment of clarity. And it doesn't mean he knows exactly what to do, because what he says is, I want to save him somehow. Like, they don't first find, then figure out how to Mm -hmm. save, you know, Um, which is, uh, again, not to, there. this is where the uh, the MCU parallels start to go real wonky. But, I mean, there is a little Mm -hmm. bit of that in Civil War, too, where it's like, we can talk about whether he did that dirt or not, or who's responsible later. Right now, it's, contain and capture in as humane a way as possible like that's where we are and it took that moment of clarity it took a friend to have that moment of clarity not sharing not fury Mm -hmm. like reacting finally it's like take a breath hey cap i'm gonna give you a space where you can take a breath and then we can act instead of react and here we go 
And that's the, I love it. And it's a nobody big pivot asked him up until then. No one nobody asked. asked him. Sharon was never interested in what Cap wanted. Sharon was interested in getting Cap to do what she wanted. Him yes. To do what she thought was the right thing. But she doesn't know. You know, she doesn't know everything. Um, and so I love I love all of that. And it's not that like I don't particularly like I like Sharon. Like I think sure. Sharon's yeah. fine. But Sharon is part of a structure that is is way bigger and is something else entirely and is not about understanding she can't understand cap's experience the way that these superpowered individuals can mm-hmm. because you know when we're talking about power right when you have the power to do something and you don't yeah. for instance if he had the power to save bucky and chose not to then as soon as that becomes a choice that choice is your responsibility and superpowered characters carry that choice all, all the, the time, time because yeah. they have the power. Like most of us ordinary schleps in the regular world, we look at something and we're like, Oh, can't do anything about that. You know? Um, and so we don't have to ask ourselves if we should. Right. Like if you could, if there was a beloved person, like, you know, my father-in-law passed last year, um, we're coming up on the anniversary of that. So I'm feeling that right now. If I had the power to keep him here, you know, would I have done that? Like, probably. Should I? He was 80 years old. Right. Right, He had a long, wonderful, beautiful, meaningful life. Right. So, but because I didn't have the option, I didn't have to question it. I didn't have to sit with myself on that. Right. But Cap has that option in a lot of cases, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and what should you interfere with? What shouldn't you interfere with? The questions that you have to ask yourself as somebody who has the power to do things other people don't have the power to do means that you're asking questions on this level. And that's what's wonderful, I think, about superhero stories. That's what's mm-hmm. wonderful about sci-fi as we start out with Blade Runner, right? The conversation is that because you open up possibility in spaces where there wasn't a question previously, you're able to ask these questions and these nuances of human morality mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that are, are so interesting to contemplate. And, and Steve understanding that he has the choice, do I save Bucky or not? You know, that he has to wrestle with that being even a choice is a really interesting moral space to play mm-hmm, in, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it, it, speaking of interesting moral or ethical places, for whatever <laughs> yeah. reason, I am so much more secure with Cap and the Avengers running off on sketchy information than I am on S.H.I.E.L.D. doing it. And uh, I don't yeah. I don't know that that's entirely appropriate or if it's just I'm steeped in genre business, you know. Uh, yeah. But, I, but however, I do feel like it's different. Because they are independent actors, not a system, you know. And absolutely. Additionally, I think it's really important for that moment of clarity for Cap that he realizes, okay, I might need Sharon and Shield at the tail end of this, but if I get them involved any earlier, they're just gonna muck it up for me mm-hmm. personally. Like I gotta keep this right. tight and I'm only gonna open it wider when I absolutely have to. Um, I think is still part of that character choice and the fact that it, you know makes me feel a little bit better about these abuses of authority is something I'm just going to have to sit with. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. I, I completely see why you would land there, and this is why. S.H.I.E.L.D. is a government agency, right? 
So while S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, the people, the individuals in S.H.I.E.L.D., like Sharon and Fury, might be people that, you know, Cap can work with, right? At the other end of Fury and Sharon is this tremendous, very complicated, potential to be super fucking evil monster that is the American government, right? Yeah, yeah. So when he's going, when Avengers are out on their own, he is working with people who are motivated by the desire to protect, right? The desire to prevent more harm, which I think, again, comes down to what is it? The the police versus firemen kind of thing. Yes. Right? Yeah. We want to get people out of the fire, but we're not going to punish. We're not going to, you know, do all of these things, this incredible evil that does get done with the incredible amount of power that is in the U.S. government. The U.S. government has a lot of power that is not contemplated, that is not earned, you know, that is just out there ready to fuck some shit up on a scale that is way beyond anything that anybody wants to see. So leaving them out of it as much as possible, I completely understand from Cap's perspective. And I think that when when Tony and Falcon and Cap go out, like, you know, kind of half cocked, right? They mm-hmm. bust down a wall, but they bust down a wall of like the evil place, right? Right, The aid organization, right? The guys who are just there doing evil because evil, you know, they got evil. Um, And so there's something about like that and then running off and doing something when their goal is to protect Bucky. Whereas involving this very powerful kind of monster that does not necessarily have an ethical guidance system, you know, directing it. I, you know, I think that there is, uh, they are coming from a better place because they know what their motivations are and they know what it is that they're going to do and they know where they're going to stop. Whereas when yeah. you involve the government um, and these systems that are not made to protect people, but to forward the interests of the power structures that are at play. Um, I think that that makes absolute sense that these guys going off half cocked is different from the uh, representation of the American government going mm-hmm. off half cocked. No, you know? uh, I so, actually yeah. appreciate that. Thank you for making me feel better about my own hypocrisy. <laughs> I don't because think it's, I don't think it's hypocritical. Yeah, you're absolutely. I mean that that question is a thing that Captain America has been used to address multiple times. You know, uh, in the eighties, in the seventies, like uh, like multiple times over and over. Um, I think only, I think maybe the only decade where that wasn't really a thing was the fifties where he was just a real commie hating asshole. Like honestly, <laughs> uh, to the point where they have now sort of yeah. retconned that to be the, the fake Stephen Bucky that was, uh, I Jack Monroe, yeah. you know, like, Ooh, fuck, yeah. we gotta, he was in the ice. That's not his shit. Uh-huh. You know? Um, yeah, no, I, I mean the, yeah, the cutting out the people who are sort of like, the I don't want to demi- like Captain America cares. Steve cares about Sharon. They had a romantic relationship. Yeah. Steve cares about Fury. They were kind of sort of pals in the war, you know, mm-hmm. but they're also like sock puppets on the end of the tendrils, yeah. you know, that are shield. Even Nick, who's ostensibly in charge, serves all these other interests. Whereas, yeah, you're absolutely that that comes back to the little help from our friends. I know why Tony yeah. and uh, Falcon are here. And I know right. that when we together decide it's done. It's actually done. There's not like low rumblings of other bullshit, you know, that is definitely going on with shield. That's a, this is a fair other bullshit, other bullshit trying to convince you that the right thing to do is the action that extends their power. Like no matter what, 
anything associated with shield is going to be morally questionable. And this is a moment where Steve needs to know that he is morally on point, that he is mm-hmm, ethically mm-hmm. on point. And that's why you go to Captain America stories, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you want somebody who gives a fuck that they are ethically on point, you know, um, they may and, get muddy in the middle. Attention. They may get muddy in the middle. That's where the, the interesting parts of the story happen. But by the time yeah. we're at the end, it's like, yeah, I know what I need to do. And we're going to go by God, do it. Um, and right. I'm going to surround myself with the people that are going to do the thing that needs doing without other agenda. Yeah. All right. I that feel are much also, better. That are also thinking about ethics. Yes, I think yeah. you're absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. I completely follow where you're going. All right. So let's get talking about this cliffhanger bullshit. Right? Okay. Also, the action <laughs> sequence. I want to actually start oh, yes. with the action mm-hmm. sequence because okay. um, as you and I have discussed across two podcasts now, and and I think now you've seen enough good action sequences that you kind of have mm-hmm. signed on more to my thesis of action sequences are good when they're also telling the story, when they're not just yes. like spectacle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, the necessary evil of serialized superhero storytelling is we got to have some action, which is why when Cap yeah. was having uh, his introspective moment, it was while doing uh, gymnastics across the city skyline <laughs> and incidentally stopping yeah. a mugger. But that's also not mm-hmm. a lot of action. It's more just like putting some kineticism on the page while he's thinking. Which is awesome. Which, yeah. yeah. And in this case, I feel like we'd had three issues of not just minimal action, but two of them, zero you know, because yeah. they were all exposition, you know. Yes. Um, and the one where we do get some is just a little. It was definitely time to do some fucking action in this action story. <laughs> that said, I agree yeah. with you 100%. This piece of action only furthers the story in as much as it shows these three guys being on the same page. And we did not need as much of it as as much as I enjoyed it and actually think on yeah. its own merits it's a good well drawn well choreographed action scene it does not carry much story water and I am not surprised you are annoyed I yeah no I was okay and here's the thing with action like after doing listen up a holes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe where there is 25 minutes of pew 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 right. you know and then and then a couple of quips from you know Iron Man as he's flying in a suit or whatever um that stuff becomes too much for me because it is because it's the story stops dead so that yes. we have lasers. Yes. You know? And I don't care for that. Um, in the thing that I love about comics is that it is inherently an efficient level of storytelling. So like you'll have some action panels. It'll be a page or two, maybe a long sequence will be like two pages, you know? Um, but there's also other stuff that has to be going on. Now, the thing that um, I didn't care for is that to bust down this place to get information from aid is the kind of thing, like I said before that like, you know, we could have waved away. We could have had Tony find that yada, yada, yada. I, when they three bust in somewhere together, I want it to be the room where Bucky is happening. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. I want it to be that. And so I felt like we had this moment that sort of detracted from the impetus of the story because we're holding off because we want that cliffhanger at the end where the we sit down and we've got, you know, Bucky with both of them in his sights and he starts shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I understand that uh, cliffhangers are kind of part of the, the same way they're part. Like we've talked about the shared DNA between soap operas and yes. comic books, yes. you know, very much. Um, and that the end of, in a serial story in your Charles Dickens, you know, 
from back in the day, right? There was always a cliffhanger to guarantee that people would come back, to make them want to come back for the next issue. And when you've got a month between issues, you don't want people to forget where this story Mm -hmm. ended. It's part of the aesthetic of the storytelling that comes from the method of production. A lot of times story aesthetics will come from the method of production. Totally fine. Not, you know, like I I get it and, and that's okay. The reason why I don't like cliffhangers is because I always feel that they are are fairly cheap storytelling. Like, we're going to come back in the next issue, and I will pretty much guarantee you that neither Cap nor Falcon will be illustrated with their brains on a rock 10 feet behind them. (laughs) Like, that's not going to be what happens here. Um, Bucky shot at something else. Bucky shot and Cap was able to put up a shield in time. Something is going to have happened. I don't know. I haven't read it yet, but something's going to have happened. So for me... What I prefer is that game changer where we know that Bucky shot and we know what happened, but because of what Bucky shot at or what he did, that changes the thing. What I am anticipating is that Bucky having shot at the beginning of the next issue, and hopefully I'm wrong, but what I'm anticipating is that it's going to be one of these false things where it's like, oh, he shot, but then he missed or whatever. And then we just go on. And that could have been something that, that had we taken it out of the story entirely would have changed nothing. Now, don't tell me. We'll see how it goes next I want to say one thing because I think you'll be happy with the way they do it Mm -hmm. because they pull a leverage move and that's all. It's not like a big one, but they do a little leverage thing where you do a little, just a turn the the point of view and you're like, all right, all right. Anyway, we'll see. Yeah. But but that's I, I mentioned that because that. that is a Lonnie catnip as that is a Josh catnip because if we were Absolutely ever if anybody was going to like hey mm-hmm. hey Josh and Lonnie what show should you talk about that no one but you two care about this much like it's not for money it's for love what are you gonna do <laughs> we'd probably do leverage I feel like oh uh, my god we should totally do leverage that'd be so, so much fun but yeah leverage is a good time um, but yeah like I, the thing is is that you, if you look back at a cliffhanger and realize that you can remove that moment entirely and it will have no effect on the story, then that's a bullshit cliffhanger. If you look back on a cliffhanger and it is absolutely necessary to the movement forward of the story, then I'm like, you know, you get a pass for that. You get a pass for aesthetics. Again, you know, there are lots of things in storytelling that have been used poorly a lot and so they get a bad reputation, but it doesn't mean that the device in and of itself is necessarily bad as long as you use it well. And and, um, I want to remind, I don't remember what episode we talked about this but i mentioned to you that like people who are good at page layout always give yeah. you a reason to turn the page at the somebody says something shocking the punch is thrown but you don't see it land whatever it is there's always lower right hand corner there's a reason to turn the page to find out what happens and i like that you saying the bit about like form dictating some of the choices yes. because A cliffhanger at the end of most issues of superhero comics is just that page turn taken to the next like sort of logical order of magnitude Mm -hmm. bigger because they got to carry you more than a page turn. They got to carry you a month, you know. And so at that point, I guess what I'm saying is usually because because normally I would agree with you, like they're kind of cheap drama cliffhangers. What I appreciate about them in superhero stuff that gets lost now that we read yeah. most of these in collections that we're able to binge them in a way yeah, right? is the job that it was actually doing. 
Like I, yes. I, I appreciate that that very much. Like it, it's uh, it's not just there for bullshit drama. It's actually to hook you and bring you back in thirty days. You know, uh, kind of thing. Well, I appreciate it. Pay it off on the other end. Right. Like for me, like that's all I ask. Right. We'll I don't ask that you don't use cliffhangers. I ask that you pay it off. I ask that that when you look back at that cliffhanger, you cannot remove it without breaking the story. Like, that's all I need. And there are ways to do that. Like, that's the thing. And that's what I love. Like, there are certain things, certain devices that have evolved in storytelling as part of the form that you're working with. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. absolutely, in soap operas and comic books and all that, the cliffhanger is part of that. And TV shows, you know, the cliffhanger can be part of that. Um, Again, I I prefer the evolution of cliffhanger, which is the game changer, you know, which is where we know what happened. But we also know that now that this thing has happened, the world is forever changed i think that those are really incredibly powerful and i love those um those are my preferred form of cliffhanger because game changer really is kind of like you know it's an evolution of the cliffhanger but yeah like there's and the thing is is that a lot of these artists you know who work within these forms do exactly that they do they know that they need this they they do the cliffhanger but they also do something else and i don't Mm -hmm, think there is mm -hmm. any form of storyteller that is more versed in doing at least two, if not five <laughs> things at once, yeah. than comic book storytellers. You know, yeah, absolutely. I'm telling you, it's it's so fantastic. Uh, but before we break and move into the C block with our favorite part, I wanted to say I just had one note that I wasn't able to fit into the rest of the discussion. <laughs> But, you know, we can have, like, in these comics, we can have horrific, dark, physical, mental, emotional violence, torture, but Falcon can't say mindfuck. Like, we yeah. have to, you know, yeah. Um, and that is one of the things that always, like, the way that we are so goddamn precious about language, and yet the things that we will have happening within a space where we have to say, hot damn, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it cracks me up every time I see it. Yeah, it's a yeah, there's there's the the in-between space of are these for grown-ups or are these for kids? Like who's picking this yeah. up in theory versus in actuality, you know, versus who we'd like to pick up. Like Also, every kid knows the word fuck. Every kid by the time they're old enough to read a comic book knows the word fuck. Uh yes, yes. And knows <laughs> not to use it in certain uh situations. Yeah. Like uh, uh I yeah. was uh as as both of us were more libertine with mm. our kids language than yes. some parents might be. And when I was questioned, I was always be like, Well, do they know not to run around grandma's screaming booger? <laughs> Same concept. Well, no, but that's the thing. I raised my kids uh, when they were young. I taught them how to swear because the problem is when kids who've been limited from that kind of expression start to hear it and their friends are saying it's every other word and then it's really irritating. Not because it's a bad word, but because it's every other word, you know? And my kids still don't curse as much as I do because I was raised (laughs) with the no, 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 no. We shall not say those words. So I said them every fucking day as much as possible. Um, But but yeah, like I, you know, I feel like I I raised my kids with that kind of like openness and you have access. I let them watch anything they wanted to, but they had to watch it with us. And let me tell you, to this day, they think about the choices they make. Certain <laughs> things cannot be unseen. They still like I remember when they were in like high school and I was like, oh, if you want to watch Game of Thrones, you can watch Game of Thrones. They're like, no, I can't unsee that shit. I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> and I was like, that's what I wanted for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's it is that. That that wild in between. I, I you know the other thing. This is just a little mm-hmm. a little Marvel 
side note to yeah. go along with this, mm-hmm. is that right around this time, I think, might have been just a little earlier than this, but around this mm-hmm. this this time, uh, they decided nobody could smoke in a Marvel comic. Ah. Now, it's not like not there even were... the bad guy? We can always let the bad guys smoke. No. And it's not like everybody was smoking already. In fact, the weirdest part about it was our people that we had come to expect to have a cigar in their mouths, Wolverine and the thing, yeah. couldn't anymore. <laughs> and it was more weird their absence than yeah. the presence at that point, uh, which, it, which is extra funny to me right now because as a final thought on this, I had a conversation with my partner the other night that we were watching yeah. Russian Doll and it made both of us want to smoke very badly. I was just watching that too last week. How funny. Yeah. But yeah, you it said does she smokes constantly. Mm-hmm. And 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 I was just saying, I was like, that would not work that way on our children. Like the shift has happened yeah. where we think you still look cool smoking. Because we know it's bad for us, but we can't unhinge the looking cool from, from well, that. Yeah, it's not even about looking cool because I was a smoker for many years and then gave it up and then went to vaping for a short while and then gave that up. And now when I see somebody smoking, um, generally it's smoking. Vaping, I still think you look like a douche. But but smoking, there's something about putting something in your face that you have just lit on fucking fire that feels like end times. It feels like badass. It feels like I just don't have any fucks to give. And it always gave me that sense of that. And so like I I, I generally decided that I had fucks to give and I wanted to give them for an extended period of time. Right. So I yes. stopped smoking. But I still have that. And when I walk by somebody and I see smell cigarette smoke on the air which so many people are vaping you don't smell it that much anymore uh-huh, uh-huh. i still have that moment where i'm like oh man i want to go and bum a smoke off that person <laughs> i know but this would not happen yeah. to our zoomer brethren who have finally had nope. the coolness unhi- unhitched from it you know exactly and and it's we were all, just it's all douchey to them just yeah. opining at our own you know sort of psychological foibles and the fact that uh, yeah, yeah since i was 11 years old reading superhero comics mm-hmm. i would have filled that in with mind fuck no matter what little <laughs> symbols they put there <laughs> well you know we must protect the children All right, here we are at our favorite parts. Um, I'm going to betray my own childishness with my favorite piece of art. Uh, It's the shadowed shot of Cap, Falcon, and Iron Man after they blow in the wall. I know there's much more interesting things going on in this issue. We'll talk about them with my favorite part. But Mm -hmm. this picture is so fucking amazing. Like, they're just going to... Okay, like, Aid has fucked around... And they are about to get a giant dose of find out. <laughs> it's super badass. It's like the cigarette. Does yeah. it? Is it necessary? No. Is it maybe a little bad for us? Kinda. It doesn't really move the story ahead. Is it badass as hell? That it is, friends. There that you go. Is. There you go. It is that. And honestly, that was one of my favorite pieces of art too. I was torn between that piece of art and the one that I eventually chose. Um, but that is that action shot. They're busting down a wall. They're just in there doing their thing. They are super powered people, just super powered. 
powering the shit out of everything. And it's really fun to see. And it's part of what you come here for. So like that particular panel, that particular art, I have no argument with. It's just the the wall that they were busting down is the one that I'm like, eh, you know. But I love, my favorite piece of art is that that last couple of pages. But you got Falcon and Cap, they're rushing the base to get to the cube, to get to Bucky. Um, and then we get those side-by-side shots at the bottom of the page of them mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Bucky's rifle scope seen through Bucky's perspective where he's just got the rifle scope trained on their, on their heads. Um, and that moment is as much as I'm not a fan of the whole like cliffhanger aspect of this. Um, I think that that page is beautifully done. I think that it's beautifully, we had the, um, in the last issue, you know, kind of like the parkour and we had, yeah. you know, a uh, cap flying through the air and the green sky behind them with the birds and everything. And then here we've got the red sky. Yeah, you know we've got all of this is is very similar. It's kind of like a, a callback to that previous art, except now you know there's real danger. We are in the red zone. Things are going to get bad before they mm-hmm. get better. You know, um, and I really I like that. I like that that representation and the two of them in these twin panels with the scope. You know, I just I love that. I thought that was beautiful. Well, that comes around to that being kind of literally my favorite part of the story too. Now you've heard me yeah. talk. Mm -hmm. there's all these themes that i love are going on Mm -hmm. right like i but but they don't they're all about putting different story moments next to one another they don't stand Mm -hmm. on their own which is fine like like they're that's what they're supposed to do they build on themselves but if i just have to pick like one moment in time it is this cliffhanger partly because of the way that it's shown to us in the art because the last time Mm -hmm. we saw bucky with cap in his sights was philadelphia And he was ready to pull the trigger. And Lucan said no. And this time, Lucan said yes. (laughs) Whether he realized it or not, you know, uh, he was saying yes to shooting Captain America. And and that's great. And I mean, it just reminds me there's inner turmoil for the soldier. um, And the cliffhanger does work for me from this perspective of like, obviously, we're not going to splatter Steve Rogers brain across the landscape. So it's not a question of how do they of do they get out of it? It's how, you know, because we know the soldier doesn't miss. Right. Right. So there's got to be something. So it's it does hold me in suspension really well without really asking me to wonder what happens if Cap is dead. So what about yourself? Favorite story part as though we haven't tipped all of our hands. Exactly. By the end, all of you should be able to guess what we're going to say. But I mean, I love that Lucan gives up the cube because his best friend, I I was going to say his best friend got hurt. That's not what happened (laughs) because he, he fucked up his best friend hard. And it's, I love that Lucan in this issue, our bad guy is motivated by love. That to me, it's just, it speaks to my, my little internally conflicted heart. I love that. We'll be back next week with Captain America number 14, The Winter Soldier Part 6, in which we wrap it all up in the big finale. Until then, get out of the prototype right now, or I swear to God, I'm going to shoot you in the face, Friedman. Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Anru and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish.